Welcome back to Self Love Ignited. Today's episode is my conversation with Allison Sutter. And we really talk a lot about intuition and spirituality as it relates to self love, the exploration of self love. And she tells her story about going from somebody who was really disconnected a people pleaser who did not trust herself. She did not trust her intuition. She was always shooting on herself. And really she's come such a long way and she has this really beautiful um, wisdom and amazing perspective on self-love from a really spiritually wise standpoint. Allison is an author. She is a teacher and a spiritual mentor. And her work blends multidimensional perspectives, making challenging self-help concepts easy to understand and apply. Her online courses explore the nature of reality, including topics such as visualization, cultivating an abundance mindset, and the law of attraction. Allison is fantastic. I cannot wait for you to meet her. Dive on in. My name is Katie Allen, and this is Self Love Ignited. Let's get to it. Welcome back to the podcast. Today on Self Love Ignited, I am interviewing Allison Sutter. And we are going to be talking all about her and her story. And it's really, really fascinating the little bit that I know so far. So, Allison, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself to everybody? Sure. Um, so, my name is Allison Sutter, and I am a teacher. And the things that I have taught have changed over the years. I taught elementary school, and then I became a mom, which is a built-in teaching position. And then I moved to working with adults in the spiritual world. Um, so that's what I kind of, my, my passion has been over the years. But I'm a mom. Um, I have a spouse, a husband. You know, I, I am somebody who understands these different iterations of myself that I have been. And as we're going to talk about, um, that relationship with self-love has been different in different categories as I have expressed myself in these different, um, you know, storylines throughout my life. Yeah. And I think that's what, that, you know, so many people, that's what happens. Like we are not just one dimensional beings, you know, we have complex lives and it does, it does show up in different ways, which is, yeah, I think it's fascinating. And Allison, where, where are you based again? I am North of Chicago, just straight up the lake, 25 miles in a suburb. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. So, um, you know, so this podcast is all about self-love, obviously, and our relationships with ourselves and telling the stories of women just like you who have come from a place of maybe not liking parts of themselves, not accepting or not loving parts of themselves to really having like a, a good, solid, strong inner relationship, inner ecosystem. So why don't we sort of start with your story back at the beginning, wherever you feel is a good place to start. Where did your challenges with yourself begin? You know, I've been actually thinking about this question since we originally talked and I'm like self-love, self-love. And I was thinking about like, what does that actually mean? And what does it feel like? And if I think about my childhood, and me and my perspective of my childhood. 
I never had a poor relationship in terms of my self-love with my physical body because I was always athletic and strong and healthy. I never had any physical problems. But then as I thought about it, the the real challenge was with self-love, with self-worth, because in my family itself, my sister was in like drug rehab at the time she was 13. You know, I remember my first image of like alcohol was her serving me a beer at age 11, you know, at the basement stairs and stuff. And so there was a really tumultuous um, family dynamic with my parents and how they reflected on each other as as married as a married couple and then all of this uh, this this tornado of my sister there I never really had from what I could see in my relationship my brother's 10 years older than me so he was out and gone um, and never you know had grandparents on either side um, that I had a great relationship with I knew my dad's mom but when I looked for evidence of what either self-love or love reflected onto others should look like, I didn't see a whole lot of it. Um, but my relationship with myself in, in sort of remembering that started about age 11. And then by the time I was 13, I had full on social anxiety, um, crippling sense of self. I remember in high school dating a guy who told me I was ugly and no one ever loved me. And I believed him. You know, I, I believed him because I, I had a faulty sense of self that had been established from the get-go. So that's kind of my earliest remembrance of what does it mean to be me and do I like me and do I respect me? And I did all sorts of things that reinforced a lack of self-worth. You know, partying in high school, um, you know, giving my body away yeah. <laughs> when it shouldn't have been given mm -hmm. away. Um, you know, that narrative was thick and heavy yeah. and it lasted a long time. I had a hard time developing a sense of worthiness uh, in regards to me as a person. Yeah. And I think that your story, I think probably most women can identify with at least some parts of your story because there is so much mixed narrative about women and our worth and our bodies and like you said you know like giving your body away like you know not not having those boundaries not having expectations sort of you know um and i mean i i can definitely see where i i played into that that same narrative um so for you so you know you are a teenager really struggling with like the sense of self and this lack of worthiness how did that follow you into adulthood? It, it definitely followed into adulthood because it, it crippled me because I was a teacher and I had to do parents night. So standing up, up, up in front of people was crippling. I mean, I, all I saw was, what do you think of me? Not what can I offer you, but what do you think of me? Yeah. It played itself into all my relationships. What do you think of me? Like, and I gave, I was a people pleaser. You know, I gave myself and my needs away so that people would like me. And that followed my, me all the way through until I got to, into my, my 40s and I started to develop the, the uh, wrote my book and started really looking at what it means to be a spiritual person to me in my life. And what does that mean in terms of my own sense of self and stabilizing that um, sort of 
traumatic sense of being unworthy. Um, but it, it definitely impacted pretty much everything that I did, all my relationships. I, I literally changed my person because I'm an introvert. Um, and so I created this version of myself that was an extrovert so that I would, because that's what I thought people wanted. They wanted the life of the party. They wanted the happy person. They wanted the smiley, you know. So I changed who I authentically was to fit the story that I'd written, which was, you suck. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's like, wow, that's pretty profound. When did you realize, like, in the moment, did you realize that you had changed this or was it only in hindsight that you looked back and you went, holy crap, I wasn't even being me. Only in hindsight, because my daughter has social anxiety. And then it didn't even occur to me that that's what I had. It didn't occur to me that it, 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 it was so much a part of my habitual actions that I had a very low self-awareness of what I was even doing because it was so habitual. But once she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, I literally changed my personality based on my anxiety. You know, my anxiety was this thing that created this Frankenstein-like persona that wasn't really me because I didn't feel the me that I, you know, when you're at home and you're comfortable and you're just being you, that you I didn't think would be liked by people because she was quiet. And she didn't say a lot. And she had really, you know, introspective um, kinds of thought processes. And to me, society, from what I was getting out of society, it was saying, no, 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 be the extrovert. Be the most gregarious ones. Those are the people that we like. Yeah. And I wasn't that at all. I'm not that. That's not really my authentic personality. Yeah. When you were at home, you know, like you said, when like at home and quiet and just doing, you know, being your introverted self and doing your own thing. Did you, when like when there was nobody else around, what was your relationship like when yourself with yourself then? Like, were you criticizing yourself or was there just like a calmness or was the anxiety with you all the time? Usually the anxiety skyrocketed when I was faced with another person because then I had to really look at my belief of myself. It wasn't accentuated until there was somebody else, you know, now, now that doesn't mean I didn't have doubts. Of course, like when you're trying to do something, go for something, do something new, those doubts certainly crept in when I was by myself. But for the most part, this sort of transition in personality took place when I was confronted with somebody else looking at me you know, a new friendship, even at, like when my kids were little mom's groups and things, you know, I, I tried to put forth this personality that, you know, I thought other people would want to be around. Yeah. And so tell me about the transition, because the woman that you are today, the woman who, you know, who, who I've met, who I'm interviewing today, like, you seem much more, um, how do I, like, settled within yourself. Like you have like a, you, you're like, you're very, you seem quite sure of yourself, which is a long way from, you know, social anxiety, trying to change yourself to fit in. So tell us about that. How did you actually overcome this anxiety, overcome this sort of false extroverted personality and sort of come back to yourself? 
Well, a lot of women talk about it in terms of age. They think that every decade that goes by, there's sort of a sense of maturity and a sense of self-acceptance and self-love that comes with that. That could be the case. I think for most people, when you get to, you know, 50s and then 60s, you're like, I just don't care what you think anymore. <laughs> However, that's not true for everybody. And I think my journey of understanding where this inner love that everyone talks about comes from, came from my uh, delving into the concept of being spirit, being a, being a creature based in um, non-physical consciousness while also being a spiritual or physical creature. So for me and my perspective, like you, you and I talking right now, we're both 100% spiritual. Like we don't have to do anything else to be more spiritual. We don't have to go to, you know, Indian, do yoga and all those other things. We're like 100% spiritual, but it's the revelation process. It's the revealing to ourselves that we are this 100% that was my sort of key that unlocked the kingdom. Because when I came to believe, really believe, not just give it lip service, not just be like, oh, yeah, 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 I believe it. And then feel something different. When I say believe, I mean, resonate equal and harmonic with this concept that there is a stream of well-being that is present within me 24-7. It's my, my, my non-physical consciousness part of me. Um, I've had two experiences where I've seen parents transition. Both my parents have trans transitioned from cancer. So I have, a in, in my own experience, I have a, an idea of an uncertainty about um, us as entities that were more than physical beings, I saw them retract our consciousness out of physicality. So that that concept that we are more than our physical bodies was what brought me out of the depths of this darkness because over time practicing and seeing it reflected in my reality, I came to terms with this concept that there is wellness within me. There is a source of love that is present 24 seven. And even when I don't feel good, it's still there 100%. I am still this version of love 100%. So I can migrate away from it. I can pout, I can have a bad day, I can move away. And then when I'm ready, I can move back into it. And so it was this concept that began to um, help me focus more on what is true, which is I am a being of love and light and, and, and I am I'm awesome. And then let the other beliefs wash away through the reality experiences I was having. Um, and so, you know, that might look like, you know, a, a situation where this concept that I'm not worth enough gets challenged and then it trans and then you see how, oh yeah, yeah, I actually do know enough. I am enough. I am okay just as I am, incomplete as I am. And so that's what that's and, it, and that's what my 40s was about. My 40s was about rectifying for me that I am non-physical consciousness, having a physical experience, and I am pure love. And then it coincides with this vision I had when I was three. Um, and I remembered it after a couple of years, but when I was three, I had this dream that occurred for many, many years. And I'm this this energetic being that is like this golden, golden light. And as I focus on the love that I am, more of my physical body melts away. And, and I just did this podcast with the, with this lovely gentleman this morning. And he's like, well, what does love and light mean? I'm like, well, love is what we are. And light is what we perceive when we perceive the love that we are. 
So I had to really just invoke this energy that is the real me, that is the real you, that is real all of us, and bring it forth on a daily basis and watch it and feel it and be it in my everyday life and every interaction that I could to convince myself that this is actually real. And so the more you believe it's real, the more you become the vibration of it. And that's what you feel when you feel my sort of settling into myself, it's alignment with the real me, right? The knowing that I don't have to be different than I am right now. I don't have to comb my hair differently. I don't have to put on a different shirt. Um, it's that certainty that I don't have to be different to be loved, to be lovable, to be loving, that that's who I really am. And that also inspires all the different kinds of investigations and adventures I want to have as a physical being, right? Because the more that you're in alignment with this love, the more you want to do things like eat better if you want to eat better or write a fiction novel or you know play the ukulele. So that's what it was for me. I could not love that anymore. <laughs> I just, <laughs> as I'm listening to you speak, I, I just, I mean, I've, you know, I've had very different experiences than you, obviously, but that makes so much sense. And I feel that like when, when you say it's about coming into alignment and this sort of how we are all love and light and it is inside of us. And it's sort of just like, I always describe it as like coming home to yourself. You know, it's like we, mm -hmm. we, we are always taught to look elsewhere for love, look elsewhere for our worth, look elsewhere for happiness. But when you actually turn the gaze back towards yourself, it was there all along. You just couldn't see it. Yeah. And one of the biggest struggles I think is we, when we don't feel good, right. In those times where we don't feel happy either with ourselves or with the situation, when we don't feel happy. We, we have this narrative that says, that love isn't there, that we have to go find it, right? It's sort of like this weird human narrative where when we feel bad, we think the love has disappeared or we think that it's gone. And that has to do with, which may be a whole nother conversation, but the construction of, of negative energy, which is, um, which is segregative in nature versus positive energy, which is integrative, which is why we feel more abundant and more, um, you know, uh, like a, like more integrated with people when we feel love, but negative energy is like a, it's a separative thing, but. Um. <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. That, I, mean, I mean, even if you mm -hmm. just think about, you know, your daily experiences when, when we're alone or when we perceive ourselves to be alone, that tends to be when we get down. Like it, it you know, it, yeah. really, it really can be as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Alison, this journey that you are on, which is absolutely beautiful, I feel like I could, you know, like you said, like there's a lot of separate conversations. Like we could go a lot of ways with this. <laughs> but one thing mm -hmm. that one thing that I, I just really am curious in your experience, do you consider this for yourself? Like, do you label if you had to choose a label for it? Like, would you choose self-love or like self-discovery or like what? If you had to describe it in your own words, what feels true to you to describe this? relationship with yourself that's developed? Um, adventurous, because it's about going with your intuition. Um, and 
intuition we don't always listen to. So like in the first part of my life, I didn't listen to it. Um, in the second part of my life, I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to trust that it's taking me on the right path. So, I mean, self-love is about following your, to me, following your intuition because your intuition is your higher self. It's your higher self having a conversation with you. Um, it's about understanding the reflective nature of reality in that it's never about anybody else and it's always about us. So if I'm feeling less than, it's never about anyone else making me feel less than because that's, that's a huge narrative, right? You made me feel, this made me feel. And there's a sort of a lack of understanding about the construction of reality and that it's a mirroring effect and it gives us an opportunity to see for ourselves what beliefs are active. Like my whole childhood was about I can look back now and I can say, well, that was a reflective mechanism showing me because I could have had a very different version of that childhood. Mm -hmm. But the version I chose was, look what happened to me. And I'm even very careful about them when I talk about it in my book. I'm like, these are my memories from that perspective. I don't hold the same perspective anymore. Um, so I would say it's about, you know, adventure. It's about Oh, it's about expanding awareness. It's about fun um, because we don't really legitimize fun. And, and self-love is about giving yourself an opportunity to have fun with the things that you do and trusting that in going for your passions and your things that you find exciting and is a formula, is an energetic formula for increasing the things that you want to experience in life, whether that be inner emotional expansions, like finding a place where you, you feel peace with yourself or outer transformations, you know, all the things that we do as physical beings. Yeah. You know, start a business, write a book, have a friendship, um, mow the lawn. Yeah. Yeah. Everything, everything. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you said before that you spent, you know, most of your forties was really about this, this journey, this, you know, mm -hmm. sort of like what, you know, what I called coming home to yourself and what you call, you know, sort of like self-love and adventure and intuition and like sort of delving into this. What did that look like on a practical level? You know, if there's somebody listening to this, who's going, Oh, maybe that might be me. Maybe I have been, you know, ignoring my intuition. Maybe I have been basing my, you know, maybe I have a, a false sense of an extrovert would really, I'm an introvert, whatever it may be. Like, what did that look like for you? Was that like meditating? Was that journaling? Was that reading books? Was that getting support from the outside? It was anything that caught my interest and then not second guessing it as not enough. Like everything, so in my 40s, so my, well, so my 30s, I did a lot of triathlon right, uh, events because I loved just being active. And then when I got into my 40s, I started getting these migraines. And so my physical expression was dramatically decreased. And so I was forced to do things like, um, well, it's where I wrote my book. Um, I ended up working with a very famous coach at that point who showed me what I didn't want to do. 
which is the blessing that he gave me. He showed me everything I did not want to do <laughs> in terms of um, my own expression and personal development and self-help and spirituality. But it was everything from when I'm having a conversation with my kids, what do I choose to say? And how can I support both them and me in um, you know, processing the things that we're excited about? It was um, literally anything from what clothes do I wanna wear today? Because they fit, it was about learning to trust myself and that the decisions that I made on an everyday basis, the food that I ate, the clothes that I wore, whether I go for a walk now or not at all, whether I just let myself sit because I had migraines, what foods did I choose to support the um, exiting of this migraine adventure, which I did find a solution to eventually. It, it's literally, it's, it's nothing that I didn't want to do. I don't actually meditate because I can't stand sitting still. I like to do moving meditation. I like to walk. I like to um, watch, you know, um, Netflix shows so I could see the story progression and not telling myself that that was a waste of time because eventually I want to write a fiction book. So I wanted to look at the different, um, you know, storylines and these Netflix shows. Um, it, it was literally everything that everyday life provides for us, but also trusting that it wasn't a waste of my time because we tell ourselves that these things that we see are frivolous are a waste of time. And then we degrade ourselves and our own actions as worthless, which then feeds the story that I am worthless because we don't understand the value in every single thing that we do. Because also other people tell us that because the, the, the society at large tells us that if you don't produce, that you're not enough. If you don't make an X amount of money, well, then you're not enough. You know, that's the current storyline. If your body isn't X, Y, Z, and it's beginning to change, thankfully, you know, it's not enough. But my 40s were about trusting that my decisions, however minute or however massive, were perfect. And it did not matter what the outcome was, that I needed to trust that the path that I was taking was the right path to come to this place of inner stability. And it's working because... I've never been more stable with my definition of self. Yeah. So it's working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's working for you. Definitely. <laughs> you couldn't, mm -hmm. you know, all that time while you were talking, I'm sitting here, I'm, you know, I'm not on camera. Nobody can see me. I'm sitting here nodding my head. Like, like, yes, yes. Mm. Like, like trust yourself. And, and, you know, there's, everybody has different words for this. You know, I, I think a lot of people would call that surrendering, right? Like surrendering to what is, what mm. is, what is true or surrendering to your intuition. But yeah, I love that. Just trust and trusting that everything you do, even if it's, if it's, you know, sitting down and watching Netflix for an afternoon, trust that that is the, you know, the best decision for you in that moment and don't beat yourself up for it. And um, yeah, that, that idea that, you know, you're right, society really does, and it is changing slowly, but there is this expectation that we have to be productive you know, we have to be productive. And, and that's why um, I was actually just watching something on the news, sorry, on the news the other day about this. And they were talking about that's why in sort of Western cultures, generally people who, you know, elderly people are valued less because they produce less. Whereas in mm -hmm. a lot of the other cultures where production is not as valued, elderly members of society are actually valued more because of their wisdom. And it doesn't matter that they're producing less anymore. Mm -hmm. and, 
And I think it's just, it's so fascinating that once we start seeing all these really superficial constructs of society and these lies that we've, you know, been living in and bought into, when that starts unraveling, it's like this whole new world that, that opens up all these new possibilities. Yeah, I definitely think we're moving into the time where people are going to look to their own guidance system yeah. in getting them from where they are to where they want to be instead of following outside rules and regulations that are arbitrary anyway. Yeah, yeah, they, they say, or I should, like, who's they? You know, who is they anyway? Who says right. that well, you should? Yeah, you just gotta be careful with yourself because when you have that, that negative narrative, you shit on yourself a lot. You're like, oh, yeah. oh I should do that. And, and people should on us. Like my husband was telling me, it, it clearly loves me and wants the best for me. But he was like, oh, with your, you know, with your courses and stuff, you should, you should make a course about this and you should make a course about that. And I'm like, but I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> so no. <laughs> yeah, stop shooting all over me. I should myself enough. Right. <laughs> so one thing that I really want to ask, and I, and I ask this because in my interactions with people, I've had this, this question come up and I think it's always a unique answer on a spiritual journey and your, your story, how you tell it, you know, is very spiritual, the sort of like coming into yourself, tuning into your issue, your intuition, trusting that. I've heard from other people, this sort of fear or this anxiety that when you come to this place of like love and light and really seeing, you know, seeing yourself as a spiritual being, seeing yourself as an energetic being, that it's hard to, um, or there's a fear that all your relationships in your life are going to fall apart whether that's with your spouse or your children or your friends, and that you're not going to be able to sort of operate the same once you've moved into the spiritual place. Can you talk about, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, you're, you're married and you have kids, you know, your, your life has not fallen apart. Um, can you talk a little bit about how your relationships with your loved ones have changed as your relationship with yourself has changed? Sure. The first thing I want to say though, is that, um, Whenever we utter anything, <clears throat> we should be aware that it's a belief system um, publicly outing itself. So if somebody says it's hard to blah, 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 or you can't blah, 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 um, they're telling you what their belief systems are. And our belief systems accentuate what our reality is and they impact our, our relationships. And I, so for me, I'm, I, I guess I would say that the way recognizing my spiritual origins has impacted my relationships is I absolutely don't need to be right anymore. I don't need to be right. I don't argue for my righteousness in favor of somebody else feeling like they're wrong, whether it's my family or my kids or my husband or, uh, or another relative. You know, I think often we're arguing because we want our point to be right. Um, but I don't, I don't need it to be right anymore because I know from being a spiritual being that every path is an individual, an incredibly ornate individual path. So what someone else's truth is, is their truth. And my kids don't buy into my spirituality, at least not yet. They're like, my, my daughter just said to me last night, she's like, we were talking about something. She's like, and that's your truth. And I went, yep, done talking. Cause I'm not trying to convince her of my truth. So it's, it's a positive because I fully accept that all roads are, are different roads. 
they look like they're intersecting because you're my children, you're my spouse, you're my whatever, um, but they're not. They're all individual and unique. And I just observe, you know, I just enjoy the journey and I don't need to be um, looked at in a certain way anymore mm -hmm. or believed or right. Beautiful. I love that. I love that. So Allison, tell us a little bit about your journey into writing your book and becoming an entrepreneur. And how has this journey of, you know, healing your relationship with yourself and your self-worth and this beautiful spiritual journey that you're on, how has that impacted your business? How has that impacted, you know, you being an author now? So um, the book came about because I told you I worked with somebody who showed me what I didn't want to do. And so it set me on this path of um, figuring out what I did want to do. And being an entrepreneur is an interesting because I did a lot of shooting in the beginning. You should do this. It should look like this. And I was miserable. And of course, I didn't have this massive success that people were promising if I just did what they said which all culminated in me writing this book about, it says seven steps, but they're actually just seven lenses or seven principles from which you can look at through your own life and begin to organize how to follow your intuition, um, how to move around fear when it shows up and try, stop trying to live fearlessly and then be authentically yourself and happy with that, which are the things that I wanted to do. So all of these, things kind of culminated into one because I've been writing online curriculum for a couple of years because um, because I was a teacher I sort of took what I knew about student learning and student development and then just meshed it in with spiritual topics but it all culminates um, when I did the three things that I was teaching right I I followed my intuition which led me to write the book which led me to do online courses that have now served up to like 4,700 students, I think at one point. Um, I haven't looked lately, but it's about that. <laughs> and then starting to work with people individually. Um, you know, it, it's like this, this, all these things came together at one time. And the more that I settle into my authentic voice and not trying to be like some other person, some other coach, the more I just am me things start to blossom you know the relationships I have with the people that I work with are are authentic and um not angst-ridden because we're not trying to live fearlessly like trying to get away from something you know they're they're it's just all sort of balled up into a bigger experience you can't do one thing without it affecting another right and so as I wrote the book my self-worth got better and as I tiptoed into entrepreneurship, I figured out what my voice sounded like. And as I found my voice and I loved my voice, my self-worth went up, right? So it's all kind of bunched together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell us what is the uh, name of your book? Where can people get it? Tell us about your courses. I wanna hear like, how, how can people get more of you? So the Accelerate Your Mojo, Seven Simple Steps to Ignite Intuition, Shake Off Fear and Unleash Real You. Um, if you just go to Instagram, I'm actually reading the book on Instagram right now. So if someone is interested in like a non-committal way of, 
of getting in tune with these or figuring out what this is all about, you can just go to Instagram and I'm reading through the whole book and I'm adding new insights and new comments um, that way. Um, that's just the best way. You can go to my website um, and, and look at some stuff, but mostly I'm you know, doing things on live streams and Instagram um, and that's where they can get a hold of the book. You can just get a copy for like $2.99 a PDF um, and, and get to know some of the concepts that way. That's an easy way in. Very cool. Yeah. I love that you're going through your own book and reading it and providing insights live. Like that's a really, that's a really unique thing that most writers do not do with their work. Well, you know, what's interesting is I looked at marketing and there's all these shoulds, you should do this, and you should do that, right? You look for other people, they're going to tell you what they think you should do for marketing. I was like, eh, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. Right. What I want to do is just read my book and give value. That's what I want to do. Yeah. So I did it. Yeah. Yeah. So Allison, if there's somebody listening who is, you know, maybe where you were at the beginning of this journey, maybe, you know, shooting themselves a lot, maybe feel like they're being a fraud or like they can't be themselves or like they have very low self-worth. Is there, do you have any uh, like a practice or an exercise or any tips that you would give somebody at that stage so that they can begin to take baby steps into this journey? Yeah, I would say um, begin to play with the idea of what your intuitive guidance feels and sounds like for you. Start with the easy things, the things that you are, are not gonna make or break you. Don't start with the hardest relationship you have. Don't start with finances that they're a big problem, but start with, with playing with what is my intuitive guidance say and feel like for me and what happens when I follow it? Because no one else can tell you the, 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 the way to get from where you are to where you want to be in the most joyful, authentic way other than your inner guidance, your inner voice, and you can call it intuition, inner voice, inner guidance, um, but it's communicating with you and it, it's talking to you. And so just start playing with that because you can use, once you develop that muscle and you know what it sounds like for you, you know what it feels like, you know what ideas come through when they're intuitively guided, you know what they feel and sound like, um, your path to all forms of abundance will open up, but it all starts with just, just a little thing. You know, what kind of socks do I want to wear today? Go to the grocery store and hold an apple and orange, which one serves me better? And then just go with it and see what happens. Start playing with it through the, the things that aren't going to break you. Don't try to, you know, <laughs> don't try to intuit your relationship with your sister. That you haven't spoken with in 10 years. Like yeah. don't go there. Just, <laughs> play with the little things and, and begin to trust yourself that there is um, value in this guidance that's there for you 24 seven. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, Allison, I think I just, I love that so much. We're gonna leave it there. I think that is like the perfect place to end. <laughs> that's a really, Wonderful. really beautiful, that's a beautiful bit of wisdom and advice. And I think something that, probably most people could use a little bit more of trusting their intuition. So um, yeah, so I, I really mm -hmm. just wanna say, you know, thank you for being here. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story and sharing all of your amazing wisdom. I'm sure, you know, we could probably talk for hours longer and go down all sorts of different tangents, but for, for the purposes of this episode, um, I think we are going to cut it there. 
That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you for being here. I really, really appreciate you. I'm so grateful. Thank you. It was a blessing to be here. Thank you. All of the links mentioned during the episode are down in the show notes. Please make sure to go on over and check them out. Also, please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And I would be forever grateful if you would go on over and leave us a review on iTunes as well. That's going to help this message reach more women. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Here is to you loving yourself.